Do you understand the jurisdictions of the church, the family, and the government? What happens when Christians fail to understand the jurisdictions of each of these institutions accurately? Can the government force its citizens to take the COVID shot against their will? What are Christians to do about these things? Join us as we take this time to stop. Hello, anybody home? I think McFly thinks. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment. And the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual. This podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. Today, yours truly, Phil, the Bronx Expositor, and our West Indian wordsmith, Glenroy, are privileged, not white privilege or black privilege, just privileged, to be joined for the second time by Scott Brown, who is the director or president of Church and Family Life and pastor of Hope Baptist Church, both in North Carolina, here to discuss something dear to our heart and his and well within his wheelhouse concerning the jurisdictions of the family, church, and government, and how Christians are to view them and submit accordingly without getting any of the jurisdiction powers confused. So welcome, Brother Scott. Hey, thank you, guys. Really appreciate being with you in these wild moments in the world. Amen. Amen. How are things been going for you in North Carolina? Oh, we're we're loving it. Um, the Lord's really blessing our church. I'm grateful uh, for that. Um, there's no fear there. So I'm just extremely thankful as a pastor to see that. Amen. Amen. There are actually churches in New York that just like recently opened up and some of them that are still closed mm. uh, as well. And as a friend of mine said, some of the churches that are still closed probably should stay closed <laughs> permanently. <laughs> right, right. Um, we should be biting at the bit to meet with the people of God. Mm. And uh, just should be such a glorious day uh, every Sunday and every time we meet. Amen. Amen. So uh, you wrote a book that I bought. Well, I bought a bunch of your books, actually, but recently. <laughs> um on when to disobey and i actually got the study guide too because i'm a glutton for punishment <laughs> so i got them both um and so I, I i cracked the first chapter very good um so i know that we uh that many people seem to not understand what jurisdictions are um can you explain a little bit about what jurisdictions are Sure. There are three primary authorities that God has established. Um, uh, Romans 13 says that all authority has been granted by God. And so he's delegated authority to three particular jurisdictions, uh, to the church, 
He is uh, given the authority of the keys uh, to preach the gospel, to baptize, to discipline. Uh, he is given uh, to the family uh, uh, the rod, uh, the training and instruction of the Lord for children and for the preservation of marriage through the husband who is the head of the wife. Uh, and then you have the jurisdiction of the civil government. Uh, the civil government is given the sword to punish evildoers. The church isn't given the sword. It's right. given the word. The family hasn't been given the sword. It's been given the rod. So you have various uh, authorities and limitations of those authorities that are explicitly spelled out in the Bible. Amen. Amen. Now, do you think that Christians generally know that there are these three institutions with varying jurisdictions? No, I think most Christians kind of think it's me, myself, and I, and the Holy Spirit, and we're going to work everything out and have a, have little uh, recognition or understanding of jurisdictions that all uh, authorities come from God and um, and and so I, I think there there really is a a lack of understanding of the way that authority works in the world according to the Word of God. People actually hate authority, mm. so uh, it's easy to understand why authorities would be ignored. So, why do you think that many Christians don't know the jurisdictions? I expect it's because. Many Christians read the Bible individualistically. Mm. They look for, you know, some wonderful verse to warm their hearts, but they don't, they don't look for the structure. They, they don't look for the contours in detail. And so because they're looking for themselves, they're not seeing what God has structured. So I expect that's why. And then if you just add to that the biblical illiteracy, most people don't read their Bibles that much anyway. But you you would really need to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation yes. to, to see how the how the various authorities work because they do run from Genesis to Revelation. Amen. Amen. And, and, and do you think it's a factor of the, you know, they've been taught that the Old Testament is, you know, when God is really mean, has nothing to apply to us today. And we focus on New Testament where they would see how God is interacting and, and how he's been, he's been separating these things and interacting with these different jurisdictions in a different way throughout time. Absolutely. Because if you disconnect yourself from the old Testament, you don't have the whole picture. You're just looking, you're just looking at the new covenant mm -hmm. and you don't see the continuity and you don't see the connections all throughout the Bible, which are just remarkable how how interconnected the whole Bible is, and and one other quick one, and I I can I know people who fall into that. They do read the Old Testament, they do have an understanding, and then they misuse it because in the Jewish culture, the ch the church and state were one, in this, in essence, and now they they try to apply it today when it's not really it's God is not the head of this government at this point. Yeah, you do you do have you know. Uh, clear distinctiveness distinctions in the jurisdictions in the new Testament. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so, 
Um, there we go. So as, as far as what happens when Christians confuse the different jurisdictions and what they should follow is, I mean, th- does that happen? Is, does that seem to be the case? Well, they, they, they might exalt one over another rather than seeing the particular jurisdictional boundaries that are there. Like, for example, uh, you know, one might exalt one jurisdiction over another. Mm. Um, one example of that is there are many people who think that uh, the jurisdiction of the government uh, is an authority over all other authorities not recognizing that Jesus Christ is the authority over all the other th- the authorities. And he is the one who has administered their, their focus and their role. So I think what you find often is that people are confused about the limitations of the various jurisdictions. Right. Right. And I think that played a uh, part in, when the government was telling all the churches they had to close and, and all of these things, I think that this really, perhaps for the first time that I've seen in my lifetime, kind of uh, surfaced as like a realistic issue, that these things are seemingly very confusing, not in the scriptures, but among believers. Well, when- I think lots, and I think lots of pastors, and I, I, I was one of them who always felt like we should always obey the government. Right. And I, I had, I really did have in my mind, at least in terms of our life here in America, we owe unqualified obedience. But so then the first, for the first time in our lives, the government told us to do things that we thought were wrong, mm. like shutting our churches down. Right. And so what happened to me, it took me a while to try to work my th- way through this. I started, <laughs> I went back and I preached through Romans 13, 1 Peter, you know, chapter 2 and 3. I went back and I preached on the civil disobedience passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament just to get my wits about myself because I, I realized I really hadn't thought this through in terms of how do I respond when the government's telling me to do something that I know is wrong. Hmm. So I think. It seems like a lot of pastors were in that spot too, and they had to go through a sanctification process, maybe a little bit like I did. Right, right. Now, in in your church, did it close at all? Did it remain open the whole time? Did it close for a week? We closed for a few weeks. Okay. I can't remember how many. Uh, We went back pretty quickly. We didn't understand what was going on. We we wanted to verify by observation. And so it didn't take us very long to, to recognize that this really was an unlawful order. (laughs) And, 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 and beyond that, it was completely unnecessary based on the actual severity of the virus. Right. I mean, we, we, we saw, we saw all the hospitals around here uh, making everything a COVID death. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So it, it took us, we, there are four or five data points like that where we thought, this isn't what they're saying. It is. Something else is going on here. So, and, right. nobody's, and nobody's getting sick and, no, and nobody's dying. Still nobody's dying around, at least anybody that we know. 
Right, right. So, yeah, I guess pastors were just kind of figuring things out and thinking, you know, we were all doing the right thing by closing temporarily. Um, but then they wanted us to close like indefinitely almost uh, for months right. and months. And and again, like I said, some are still closed. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, then came uh, the online church movement, so to speak. Um, So now, what are Christians to do when employers, companies, or cities uh, force them to do things that violate God's word? And um, I was thinking a little bit of the book of Daniel uh, in respect to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Daniel is a marvelous example of uh, one who made a, a godly appeal. The text says he made up his mind, but then he went and made an appeal. And I think Daniel is just a, a marvelous pattern uh, for all of us. He was willing to die, but he wanted to make an appeal first. So I think that's the first thing that that Christians ought to do if they have an issue with getting a vaccine or or wearing a mask either way. And I think there, I think you have, there are two kinds of arguments that a Christian can make here. Uh, there are explicitly Christian arguments, and we can talk about that. And then there are American arguments. And um, we have particular rights in America. We have particular remedies that you might not have had in Babylon, <laughs> you know. Um, so the Apostle Paul exercised his rights as well uh, in making an appeal to, to his own uh, government's laws. So I think we have, we have Christian arguments, explicitly Christian. These are the strongest ones. I think these are the most important ones. And then on the other hand, we have arguments uh, that we are able to make because God has put us in this nation. God has, by his sovereign wisdom, they, he, he has put us in a nation where we actually have governmental American arguments against these kinds of things. Right. And just to piggyback off of that, because as you're talking, I always think of things as you're, as you're explaining, because I, I know that you've thought deeply about this. Now, from the governmental a- answers, do you, what do you, do you think, um, and I'm going back a little far back for some people that when the church started getting involved with prayer in schools, um, you know, and other issues like that, and also with social justice, that we've we've started using the political argument. We've we kind of got ourselves worked up into a frenzy where now it's like, do we obey? Do we disobey? When it used to be, what does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's easy. Uh, to only think on one side of your brain, you know, mm. I'm an American. Um, the political remedies, I don't have too much confidence in. Mm. But, uh, but but I am grateful uh, for the legislative remedies that we've been given. But I, I, I really, I th- t- in my mind, the, uh, the governmental, the American uh, arguments are are secondary, far down. I, I want to lean my weight on the jurisdictional arguments. Mm-hmm. I, I think there I think there are two biblical arguments, uh, and the first is a jurisdictional argument, and then the the second is that there there really are explicit commands 
that we must obey. And I, I think we should consider both of those. You know, um, God has established jurisdictions. And so, you know, when the government tells you you have to get a vaccine, how do you think that through uh, jurisdictionally? Right. And I mean, the, Romans 13 says that the government is God's servant for good. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask, if he's not doing good, are you required to obey? Um, mm-hmm. Because God is the authority over all all the authorities, and and the, and the reality is, is God by His own authority has given to man jurisdictional freedom over his health, and He has given uh, men authority over their families and the well-being of their families. You know, the husband is the head of the wife, and parents are given government governance over their children's care in the family. Parents are entrusted with the care of persons and uh, the, the, the care of children is not the, the realm or region of the authority of the government. It, it's given to parents in the same way that parents don't wield the sword. Uh, neither does the government uh, wield the rod. And so we, we have to recognize that there, there you know, you have this government over your own body and you have, you have government over uh, your family. Now we could talk about your body. Um, uh, of course, I, there, there are many places in scripture where we are told that we have a duty to maintain the health of our body. Um, you know, man is commanded to keep his body in sanctification and honor um, in First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty, we learn that governing your your own body is commanded by God. Paul says to that church, "Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit?" And then he says, "Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit." He says, "You are not your own; you are God's." And then, you know, in Romans twelve, uh, you know we we understand the Christian has a duty to render to his body uh, under to render his body under the authority of God as a sacrifice. In other words, a Christian is not free to do with his body, whatever he pleases. He must consider what pleases God. That's why the apostle says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you get to first Corinthians 10 31 uh, pleasing God must be considered even in what you eat, what you ingest in your body. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whatever you ingest, whatever you inject, whatever you do with your body is something that is really under the governance of God. I mean, even John, the apostle in 3 John 1 and 1 verse 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. That's about your body, just as your soul prospers. So God has given uh, the individual authority over his body to glorify God. And if a civil magistrate or your friend tells you to do something that doesn't glorify God with your body, you don't have to do it no matter what authority they have because God, God is the higher authority. You know, right. we have we have examples of this. Uh, you know, when the Hebrew children were in Babylon, 
you know, you mentioned this earlier, Phil, the king yes. commanded them to eat the king's food. Well, they refused. And and they appealed, you know, to the king. Right. Um, he, what the text says is Daniel would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. Yes. Was not going to drink what the king wanted him to drink. And he wasn't going to eat what the king wanted him to eat because he was under the authority of God. So you have this matter of, of personal jurisdiction. And so what, what I, you know, my understanding of the current situation is that when a government demands that every person be injected by an untested, unknown, toxic, biological, where there are known complications, they usurp personal jurisdictional freedom over the care of your body. Wow. I, I like the way you unpacked everything, uh, taking us to Babylon and just showing us how Daniel, he's obviously in a foreign land. He's exiled there. He has no, um, he has no pull, so to speak, right. but uh, yet he, you know, he's, he's trusted by the King and he's, he's the best worker that he has, but uh, he sticks to his convictions they change his language. They change his clothing. They change his culture. They change everything about him. They even change yeah. his name, but they couldn't take, uh, uh, they took him out of Israel, but they couldn't take, if you will, the Lord of Israel out of him. Right. Uh, he, he wouldn't compromise. Right. Hey, and one, one of the big problems with what we're, what's being commanded today about everybody has to get a vaccine Hey, the, the, the medical community has always acknowledged that everyone should not have the same kinds of treatments. Right. Um, you know, in, in, in medicine, you have to understand individualized diagnosis and guided therapy according to your body. We must, I believe we need to contend for that right now. I mean, everybody knows that people's bodies are different. Sure. Uh, they, they, they have, uh, hey, people respond to coffee differently. So one person gets a headache. You know, treatments have to be customized. I mean, one person gets an allergy. One person has a, a terrible reaction. Yes. That the other person doesn't. You have lifestyle diseases. You have conditions. You have allergies. You have personal health histories. Hey, males and females. Hey, like if you, you know, if you're going to go to get surgery, they put a different amount of anesthesia in a male than they do a female. Right. We're all not the same. Even, right. even something as innocuous as, as um, uh, aspirin right. can kill someone. There are people who just cannot take aspirin. And so it's, the, it's the most yeah. benign medicine we know of. So I'm just going to make something very clear my, to, to, to you. Sure. Collectivization of healthcare is wicked and it completely... Uh, argues against the way our bodies are built. We are, mm. we have different immune systems. I mean, you, you just, it's wrong to tell people that the, every person that they have to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, I, mean, I know my, and really, Hey, it's not one size fits all right. medicine. And for somebody to tell you that you must inject toxic biologicals, into your body is tyranny. And, and, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but I'm, I'm telling you, if you just look simple math, simple numbers, 
we're we are a country of 300 million people with supposedly with the unverified 600,000 people who have been that's not even 10 percent it's not it, 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 it now i heard in the news recently um we can verify that later that they want to do it um 12 to 8 8 to 7 and then they want to go to up to two-year-old to six-month-year-old babies they want to vaccinate I, I read and, a, and 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 and, they, and the, the 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 phrase was and we're seeing how it goes as we go lower i i, I read on the cdc website a while back how many chill how many children under age 17 died in 2020 do you know it said on the website 48 oh the entire year and they're shutting down schools um 90 the cdc website today says that 94 percent of the COVID deaths had an average of two comorbidities, two. So, wow. um, (laughs) We're we're, we're being played. That's what's happening. Even, even the vaccines themselves, they're they're, they're having a a rationale. People who had the vaccines getting sick. And their, the argument I think I heard was, it's mitigating the severity. <laughs> How do you I mean, know that? The, the numbers, it, it was never severe to begin with. So right. it, it's, uh, <laughs> instead of, instead of a category three, it was a category mm. two or something. It, it's <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, you just can't prove it. Oh, you know what? I, I, I was re- I'm reading a book right now. It's actually written by one of the founders of Greenpeace and he, he left Greenpeace because they just became so, political and they just became a fundraising organization. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Pat, Pat, I think his name is Patrick Moore, but he was, he was the leader of Greenpeace. He says, here's, here, here's, here's what these people are doing. They want to scare you, but they always scare you with the same kind of thing. Mm. A thing that you can't see. You can't see CO2. You can't see the polar bears. You can't see the polar ice cap. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're not there. And now they're doing, it's the same program here. Wow. It so, sounds, so, it's, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like, um, you know, a, 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 an adult version of being afraid of the boogeyman. Yeah. I mean, really it does. It just, you know, I mean, when you put it like that, it sounds childish. Yeah. And I'm going to give everyone a freebie on this. Thank you. If you, <laughs> if you watch the news or you hear any professional say, Something is rate has has is increased fifteen percent since last week. the The rate is um hundred and fifty percent compared to a year ago. Percentages is a very skewed number. So if you went from forty eight children dying last year to fifty two this year, you can say it was a fifteen twenty percent increase, but based from what? Um, and and I think that's the skew. So whenever they're telling you. There is a rate of infection and increase. What is the death rate? How many people are dying? Because you can have multiple people testing multiple times for a thing and saying, hey, now we have more infected than before when it might not be more infected. The, the, the rate of increase can sometimes be between I, I, I delved into some of the numbers. I said, OK, you know, I don't want to act from my own bias. So I will look into the numbers. When I saw one of these articles, I went into the numbers. And from four weeks ago, they said it's a hundred percent increase, but four weeks ago it was like 20 people. And now it's a hundred people. And it's the number sounds terrifying, but 
when they never give you the actual number, that should worry you. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of things that went on. They, I mean, how did all of a sudden uh, the flu disappear? <laughs> no one got the flu. It just went into hiding. Um, I mean, I, I think that many said that everything was COVID. You got shot. It was COVID. You know, you got a cold and you just needed some chicken soup and it was cold. Everything was so many things were considered COVID mm. um, because I think, as I believe Scott was alluding to, they're kind of giving us a mindset, giving yes. us a, a worldview by which to think. And when you think about it, or stop and think about it. It's almost as if the CDC or the preachers and the people are the congregation and they have their verses that I, they want us to memorize. And therefore, you know, we ought to uh, fall in line. And it just seems like a false church. And, and, and I just want to make sure we say this as a disclaimer, uh, Scott Brown is not saying if you feel like you have something, if you have a medical reason to do it, do it. We're not saying not to do it. We're not saying don't take it. We're saying it should not be mandatory. It should not be something that's by compulsion. Because if I feel like I'm at risk, I'm overweight, I have you know three or four different things that's going to contribute to this being a deadly thing for me, I think I have all rights to go and say, all right, I'm going to take the risk within my own self to take this vaccine. But when you're telling my nine-year-old son that he has to take it, it you know, I, I watch the news today, that they're encouraging pregnant women to do it. They, they, they're saying you should do it. They have, no, they have no data to substantiate that. It takes five, sometimes 20 years to know what the reaction is. And now you're saying you want to inject someone who is in the middle of birth with a child hmm. for something they don't have yet. <laughs> it's it's yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah, Glenroy, I, I like how you're framing this. I, I would say it in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, every person has personal responsibility for their mm. body. They know mm. their body. Mm. They, and so they, they're given, they have a duty Amen. to do what they should do to make their body healthy. Mm. Um, and people have different considerations be, because of their stage in life, their age, their situation. I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, I know some people are worried about having their children taken away from them and that type mm. of thing. Mm. Uh, if they don't get the vaccine, well, my children are grown. I don't, I don't, I don't have, I'm not triangulating with that data point. Mm. People, people have to think this through according to their own understanding of their situation, Mm -hmm. their own understanding of their own body, their own understanding of their family. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's appropriate for me to make that decision for anybody. Uh, that's why you've been given personal fiction for your own body. Hey, yeah. wait, wait, here's what I want to know. Where did my body, my choice go? go, go? <laughs> exactly. It, 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 it only go? applies to one specific <laughs> section. Before we go on, I want to give one per- personal example. It's anecdotal. There's a young lady that I know that works at Applebee's. Hey, hey, are you doing? Hello, are you doing? You know, have a conversation. She's like, you know what? I'm going to leave my job to work at a medical um, facility. She goes, she applies, she did the interview. They're happy with her. She's ready to go. Four days before she's supposed to start, she already gave her a notice. They said, hey, you know, you got to get the vaccine. She's like, um, no, um, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a test every week, but I just don't feel comfortable. Oh, that's going to be a problem. 
she goes, she starts the job, she's there. You're going to get the vaccine? No, no, no. I mean, there's an option for me to take it every, you know, I test every week. And yeah, you could do that. But and then they fired her because she would not get the vaccine, even though they, they themselves have a policy which allows someone to not have it as long as they are getting tested every week. And it just, it's just now she doesn't have a job. But to her, it was in a personal conviction that she didn't want to do it. But I don't think it should be the point at which you have to decide on your livelihood and whether you eat or sleep or whether you take a vaccine that could cripple you or do something to you that we don't we don't know yet. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I would I would encourage her to find an attorney and mm. uh, make her way through uh, Article seven mm. of the Civil Rights Act, which says that you can't discriminate uh, wow. uh, against employees Um and you know there, you know there are organizations that are involved in defending, uh, you know, people. I, I and, and I, I guess I'm, I'm glad. I, I would counsel people: don't resign, get, get yourself fired, because then you have a remedy. Then, then you can take this to the courts, and perhaps you know she can find somebody at Alliance Defending Freedom, mm. Liberty Council in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, they, they have people who can, who can talk to her and coach her according to her situation. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's unprofitable now to resign. Uh, if someone has a conscience issue, they should get themselves fired and then, and then begin to make their case in the courts against the company that did that. Because in America, you can't discriminate that way. Well, just for clarification, they did fire her. They just, they told her pack up leave that day uh within three days so yeah, definitely good advice i think yeah well wow. and, and and even i personally sorry to cut you even i personally my my, my ceo brought me in and he said you know you getting the vaccine i said no um we're gonna have to he said uh it's gonna be a company policy across all of our companies and i said okay um i would like to see the piece of paper first i haven't heard anything since but it's a it was a big it was kind of a, you, you can lose your job over this. And I said, hey, show me the paperwork. Then I'll make a personal decision once you've codified it that I have to do it. But I haven't seen anything since, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I would just encourage you to ask if, you know, here's what I think. I think that some people are making threats, but they will never do it because they, yes. need, they need you so badly. <laughs> it's so hard right now to keep employees. And I would, I would call the question and... Mm. I, here, here's 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 the conversation that I would encourage mm. people to have uh, with their employers. First of all, I, I would explain to them this matter of personal rights and the collect and, and how wrong mm. and usual the collectivization of medicine is. And I, I would make I would make careful, calm, not red faced arguments. Mm. And then, and then I then I would bring them to the Bill of Rights, and then I would take them to Article Seven of the Civil Rights Act, mm. and I would say, "Are you pre- are you prepared to deal with this? Mm. Because I believe that's what this issue is, and um, I want to work here. I love this company. I think you're awesome, but um, this is this is tyranny, and yeah. we live in a country mm. that has laws against tyranny." <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's good. Well, amen. And I know you edited this book by uh, Pierre Verre. Yes. Um, By Pierre Verre. Rebecca Sheets uh, 
translated the the pieces uh, a marvelous uh reformation french scholar <laughs> and um i uh so yeah i did not write it i just right. published right and m- most people don't don't know about this reformer mm. he's uh how come he's um he he's not that well known well you know he was he was actually called the angel of the reformation he was one of the most popular preachers of the reformation he was so easy to listen to. Uh, he was he was a gentle, you know, but firm spirit. He was he was the favored preacher of Calvin and others. Wow. Um, uh, you, you know, most people would rather hear Pierre Verret than Calvin and not. Wow. Um, he was just such a compelling preacher. Wow. But his works just weren't translated. But Rebecca Sheets has has given uh, an enormous uh, amount of time to republish his works and they are, they're just really, really good. I, wow. she, she's continuing to work on it. And I, I'm buying every bit of it. Mm. So. Oh, amen. Amen. And so um, many people don't know him. Uh, I, I've just been introduced uh, to him uh, because of your book. So now I'm uh, looking into it. And so the book is called when to disobey an intriguing title. Um, what, I mean, I, again, I know you didn't write it, but you uh, edited the book and now it's translated into English. Um, what made you want to put this book out for uh, people? Because like, like myself, I believe that pastors and Christians in churches needed to really think through all the issues of honor, uh, what, how to deal with tyrants, uh, how to think about insurrection, how to think about obedience to God and all those kinds of things. Uh, because I don't, I don't think American pastors are really prepared uh, to deal with it. And so I, I, I felt like it was time uh, to publish a book that helped people think through it. I've been doing podcasts on each chapter. Um, we're going, I'm almost done with it. You can go to our website uh, on our podcast and you can find discussions on each chapter. What's that site? Uh, it's uh, churchandfamilylife.com, churchandfamilylife.com, and go to the podcasts, and and you'll see these podcasts uh, scattered through on each chapter of this book. And people can buy the book on that website as well. Yes, people can buy the book and the, and the study guide. And the study guide, right. And this might be a, a, a good um, book. Uh, to do a, a small group with. I know we've been doing uh, a book club. We did John Owen's book, Indwelling Sin. Now we're doing Vody Bakum's book called Fault Lines. But I think this book would be a very good book for such a time as this. And uh, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate the fact that you have brought this book uh, to light for believers, especially, I agree, for pastors. I think if pastors don't know about this, and so I'm going to share more, um, you know, concerning this book with other pastors, uh, then the people will never know about it. So I, I didn't even know we, we, we Christians should disobey. I, I didn't even, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised. I, I'm really interested to know um, the premise of everything. Yeah. So, um, I mean, when when push comes to shove, if the government is asking us to do something that violates God's word, uh, I would say that we submit to the higher law, which is the Lord himself. Um, so like when you, you know, with abortion, we submit to the higher law. 
which is the law of God, even though, because not everything, and I think most people would agree logically, but then they would walk it back in, in, um, where they would contradict themselves because I, I think almost everyone would agree that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's morally correct, right? You think of slavery, you think of Nazi Germany, that just because it was legal didn't make it right. And so, you know, um, but I, I don't know how many at this time, unless they're taught and, and convicted or convinced um, concerning these things would make that leap and say, okay, well, that would apply here. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right, doesn't make it biblical, doesn't make it moral. And I think it's important to cut the lines up on those things, because I think sometimes people just, you know, they, they throw one pitch down, down the line and they expect everyone to swing at the same pitch. And, uh, and, and, and I think we as believers need to really, you know, um, start to dissect what people are saying instead of just, they're saying this, they're saying, do this or that you say, well, hang on, where do these two options or these two only options come from those are the only two options on the table i mean how do christians have the the conversation concerning these things with those that um they 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 only see things a certain way um but we want to help believers um especially actually let me let me just jump here what would you say to pastors about how to shepherd people um, through these things. Obviously, pastors can't say do this or do that, but shepherding people, how do we as pastors shepherd people uh, through these issues? Uh, people in our churches are coming to us saying, Pastor, what do I do? Um, you know, my company's going to fire me. Uh, the city, I work for the city, and they said I have to either do this or that. It might be on my dime if I have to get tested every week or what have you. Uh, how how would you counsel pastors to shepherd God's people concerning these things? Yeah, pretty pretty simple. Uh, I, I I want them to really be aware of the jurisdictions and the jurisdictional authorities. Yes, um, I want them to understand how the, the commandments of God. Uh, interrelate with this whole thing. Um, and I'll, there, there are two commandments that I think are very relevant to this, two of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Sixth Commandment, uh, thou shalt not murder. And, um, you know, this, this command, the Lord Jesus taught us that this commandment is broad. It's not just about stabbing your brother. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, like if you, if you look at the Westminster Larger Catechism, you know, what is required of the Sixth Commandment, uh, taking care of your own body and not killing your own body hmm. and not doing anything to harm your body is one of the elements of of the sixth commandment. And that's why, you know, injecting experimental, untested, toxic, biological, you know, substances that we know that there can be negative effects. A Christian can say, I'm obeying the sixth commandment. Uh, here, Here's uh, question 35 in the... Uh, in the larger catechism, uh, what is what are the duties required of the sixth commandment? All careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others. In other words, you have to study. You have to see what's really going on. That's mm. what we're doing. You know, Glenroy, that's what you were doing when you were saying, okay, how many people are dying? 
That's called studying it. Mm. What's really mm. actually happening. And then he says, in, or the, uh, the catechism says that we should um, eliminate practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any, of any, a sober use of meat, drink, and other things like that. So, I mean, uh, you know, the, the authors of the Westminster Catechism believed that taking care of your body was actually in obedience to the Sixth Commandment. And I think Christians should say, oh, how, what does the Sixth Commandment have to do with me? And, um, you know, how do I apply it? Well, you should apply it by taking care of your body. Is taking care, good care of your body an act of love? Yes. Is refusing to do anything to harm your body an act of love? Yes. Should a Christian do anything, inject anything that might harm his body? No. The command requires that we study to see how we would bring benefit to our bodies <laughs> and also the bodies of others. So that's the sixth commandment. I think the ninth commandment also speaks to this whole issue. Can I just ask you a question about the sixth sure. commandment? Because yeah. kind of, uh, I think this would apply. So my understanding is that the CDC admitted that the vaccines com- contained aborted human baby cells, fetus cells. Um, so can that be an additional moral ethical issue? Says I don't want to, I, I, you know, obviously we're against abortion. If they put these cells into the vials, into the shots. <laughs> yeah. My, my understanding is that there are two kinds of aborted material. Okay. Uh, fetal cell lines is oh. one kind. Okay. These go back to the, you know, these were cells that were harvested in the sixties and in the seventies. And so they, they have been replicating, you know, for all these years. So it's very far away. And then you have fetal tissue that's direct fetal tissue. And some are arguing, well, fetal cell lines aren't a problem, but fetal tissue is, um, it's a problem for me, Mm. frankly. Uh, but you, you do find, you know, Christians trying to make that distinction. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if aborted baby parts are being used, that's re- it's reprehensible. We have no business, you know, injecting these kinds of things, you know, into our bodies. Right. But there are nuances that I don't really, I don't understand everything about. Right. Uh, we have to study. I, think the, I think the fact that it's experimental is enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's troubling as well. I mean, there's so many things and, we don't want to make it a conspiracy thing. We don't, look, sure. All I'm saying is, and I think we, we want to keep it in this, is it's something that if you have hesitancy about, you sh- we, we have a recourse and we should be using the Bible as our guide. Um, and, and, I, and I think, uh, I guess another question, I know you're going to talk about the, the, the ninth commandment, but this is not for trivial things. This is for something like this, where it's compromising your body. It's some ethical issues. It's not because they told you to cross the street and you want to stay on this side of the street. It, it's something serious nature. We should obey in, you know, when it's, when it's feasible. It's not compromising our faith. And it, and it is something that's reasonable that would be asked of a citizen. Sure, sure. So you were saying the ninth commandment. Yeah, yeah. Ninth, the ninth commandment, I think, should cause us to ask the question is it loving 
to our neighbor to get the vaccine. Well, the ninth commandment says you shall not bear false witness. Mm. Right. Neighbor. Now, the question is, are we being told the truth? Are we upholding mm. the truth? Mm. Are we countenancing government orders and bearing false witness at the same time? You know, the most flat, I think the most flattering thing you can say about the government guidance is that it has been contradictory. <laughs> um, you know, we, it's you know, we were told at the beginning, two weeks would flatten the curve. Then society was locked down. Then we were told when the vaccine came, we would be free. And then, and then Dr. Fauci told us that uh, masks were necessary. Then two masks were necessary. And it became pretty clear that the government is lying. Uh, now, also, I, also, real quick, to cut you, 70% yeah. would be fine. Now we need 100% vaccination for it to be work to work. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think everybody's intentionally lying, but somebody's <laughs> lying and people are picking up the lie. Mm. And many are just kind of carrying the narrative mm. they were told. But what does it mean to bear false witness? Mm. And I'll, I'll take you to the Westminster Catechism again. This is the larger catechism, question 144. What are the duties of the ninth commandment? The preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. Hmm. Appearing and standing for the truth in matters of justice and judgment. A charitable esteem of our neighbors. I mean, uh the ninth commandment means that you will preserve and promote the truth between men and you will stand uh, for the truth. And uh, what, what are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? This is question 145. All prejudicing the truth, giving false evidence, suborning false witnesses, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing an unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, concealing the truth, undue silence in a cause, holding our peace when iniquity calls for either reproof from ourselves or complaint of others, hiding, excusing, or extenuating sins. Now, those are the sins of the ninth commandment. So, you know, um, thou shalt not bear false witness. Um is it loving your neighbor to promote a lie? Mm. Is it loving your neighbor to promote the collectivization of healthcare? Is it loving your neighbor to endorse what we know are lies? Um, you know, is it, is it loving to pretend that wearing a mask and getting a vaccine makes you not dangerous? Mm. You know, is it loving to pretend that going maskless and vaxless will save your life? Hmm. No, it's not. This is lying. This is upholding misrepresentations. And I, you know, I have, I have no doubt in my own mind, the government is misrepresenting the situation. They change the story. They, they misrepresent the severity of the cases. They inflate the death rates. Uh, they endorse a misleading test you know what we had a missionary that uh was had to get back on an airplane to go to another country their son they were getting they were getting on the airplane on wednesday their son tested positive on monday they took him to another place and he tested negative on tuesday mm. 
and they got on the airplane. The tests, the tests are at best unreliable. Wow. Oh yeah, definitely. I, mean, I, I remember Elon Musk months ago said he he got tested four times. Two are positive, two are negative. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, is, is it love? I mean, um, is it? Uh, is it breaking of the of the ninth commandment to countenance the lies? And I don't think it is. I think we have to say these things are not true. And 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 once again, I don't want to keep going off on tangents, but it just occurred to me as you're speaking. And like, look, we keep look. Pat, Phil and I, Pastor Phil of Hive, are keep track of this. And the fatigue sets in. I remember maybe three, maybe four weeks ago, where we were told that people in India were like just dropping. Now, between then and now, I have not heard a thing about India. They don't have even close to the vaccinations that we have here. So how did they overcome what seemed like people, they were dying in droves? The other day, I looked at it. It said 2 million people worldwide died from COVID. They're a country of a billion people. And when I heard about it, even I was like, wow, it's really serious because the people in India are, are like just dying like excessively. How, how Was it solved between three weeks ago and now? Now, the biggest problem is the Florida governor doesn't want to, to, to put restrictions back in. It, it, and, and I think it goes to what you're saying about the, the misleading. It's how could something that was like life and death three weeks ago be resolved without a vaccination rate, which they tell us would solve everyone's problem in the entire world? I and I don't, that, I don't even want to answer the question. It's just, it's just, just think about it. What happened to that crisis? That was, it's like we go from crisis to crisis to crisis, and yet the world keeps spinning. And the they did, I think they did numbers, Pacifil, where we have the exact same amount of deaths in 2020 that we had in 2019. Right. How is that possible? Right. Sorry, sorry. The, the, the numbers of a lot of things yeah. get skewed. I mean, even all the stuff with the social justice and how many people got shot. You know, I, I mean, um, and then when you actually give correct numbers, then they say, yeah. "Well, you know, yeah. who put those numbers?" <laughs> um, but I, I think that a friend of mine, uh, Anthony Uvino, who was on our podcast, uh, the Reform Rookie, I think he he was someone who just encapsulated this very well said, listen, um, just kind of like in the book of Romans, when they wanted people to pinch the incense and say, Caesar is Lord, and Christians came along and said, no, Jesus is Lord, which would be the context of Romans 10, that the government right now wants us to say the government is Lord, and they want to lord it over the people, and they don't want Jesus to be Lord. And so I think it's a lordship issue here. Uh, Scott, what, what do you think? Uh, before we go, I just want to make a correction. They said it's 4 million. I just want to make sure I'm correct and oh, okay. accurate. It's 4.3 million as of um, August 13th. Okay. <laughs> so, the lordship issue. Well, hey, Christians don't run away from the sick. Right. Christians visit the sick. Mm. Jesus said that um, going and visiting the sick is a manifestation that you are saved. Mm. I mean, elders are supposed to get together with the sick and, and they don't stand six feet away. <laughs> wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. They, they lay hands on them and they touch them. Mm. Yes. Jesus was always touching the sick. 
Christians are not afraid of the sick. Yes. Yes. That's what it means when Jesus is Lord. Um, You know, I was, I was, I had breakfast with one of my deacons this morning and I, and I asked him, why are, why is it that our people are not afraid? They're happy as larks. They're not Mm. anything. He said, he said, Scott, it's because they really believe that God controls everything. They believe that God controls disease. They believe that they're going to die when God is good and ready to have them die. And and they're not, and they're not ruffled by it. Well, that's what, when Jesus is Lord, you're fearless. Amen. And you just do it. God. I mean, and you, you actually go and lay hands on the sick. You're not afraid to do that. Yeah. I, I, I wrote some articles on Luther and Calvin during the time of the black plague. I mean, they went and ministered to the sick. Actually, I think Luther had someone with the black plague in his home and cared for that person while his wife was pregnant. (laughs) Um, Those those brothers were so courageous. They were, they were. Yeah. 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 Luther actually has a pamphlet out uh, about it. Um, I can't remember the, what it's called or tract. Um, I think uh, I could probably put it on, on our website so people can access that. I, I want to jump in some, with some more numbers. I'm telling you, they, they're, they're showing us all the cases in the world. Um, it's called World Meters uh, info, And the United States has the most new cases, uh, or, um, 37 million. India, uh, which is 1.3 billion people, has 32 um, million cases. Now, once again, let's think about it realistically. A country of 1.3 billion, which would not even, not even a close to the number of vaccination we have, we, we are right there with them. How is that possible for a country of 300 million to have similar case amounts to a, con- to a country of 1.3? It, 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 just, it just defies the logic that the way these numbers are being thrown around, it just seems like it has to be inflated in our country. How is it more than a country of 1.3 billion where they have don't have the medical resources we have, don't have the precautions, and didn't shut down to the level that we have shut down? But we seem to just be going crazy with this the, this disease while while we have less deaths. It, it just it doesn't make it's not adding up to me. Well, um, yeah, even even the reporting of cases doesn't add up because yeah, it, it, so many so many of the people that are cases, they're not sick. Yeah. yeah. So the reporting of cases is fraudulent. Yeah. Cases don't mean anything because we know that of those who are, who test positive 99.98% correct. Will survive. Correct. Correct. And, and the numbers bear it out. It's 200, 200 million. I think they said they claim got, got cases. And only four million died. So you could just a simple division, like I learned this in, in, in elementary school. Simple division would tell you what the percentage is, and and that I remember. And the, it's a larger amount of people who weren't tested than were tested. So it's even a, it's even a great. It's probably even greater than ninety nine point ninety eight percent because some people weren't even tested. Some, most people got it, didn't even know, didn't test, and were sick several times without even knowing. Um, but I, I think it's interesting what you guys are saying, like. It is. It is actually this lie or this misrepresentation. It's hindering 
the gospel spread because if we had the freedom, we would be going out to these neighbors that are sick, that are held up, locked away, who was not able to get help to help them. And now we're saying, no, it's your patriotic duty and to, to, to separate, to not go to church, to not convene, to not um, um, fellowship with the saints. And, and, and I think the cost is beyond what we, are, we can even imagine. And I'm telling you, as someone who is a deacon, who's active, my walk is not been bettered by this last year. It, it has not improved by the last year. It, I'm barely holding on to what I had because I, I had this uh, weekly encounter with everyone and they could tell when I'm upset and when I was down and they were asking me how I was doing. And now I could just be like, everything's great. I haven't seen you in three weeks. I, you know, I, 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 we're not strong. We were not meant to do this walk alone. And this misrepresentation is, is 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 fracturing us in ways i don't think we even know mm-hmm. sure well what who would try to keep believers apart from one another yeah 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 scott is there any other thing that you wanted to share concerning these things before we close well i think that god has established his people in the world yes to live within the lines of the authority that god's given them they should exercise their authority mm. you know? My my bel- belief at the moment is that now is the time to stand up and say no mm. and to communicate the truth about the Sixth Commandment, about the Ninth Commandment, about jurisdictions, mm. about Article 7 in the Civil Rights Act, about you know the Declaration of Independence. We have freedom for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think we need to tell our employers that uh, the information is fraudulent mm. and dangerous. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that we should, you know, uh, tell our employers what the CDC is saying about this shot. I'll quote from the CDC website. I mean, and this is because, you know, people are experiencing side effects, effects like right. disorientation and swelling and headache and fever and nausea and paralysis and in some cases death. Mm. Here's what I read on the CDC site this morning. They say the second shot may be more intense than the first. Yes. And here's the quote. Side effects can affect your ability to do daily activities, but they should go away in a few days. <laughs> so, are, are, are you know, I think you can say to your employer, are you telling me mm. that this is what I need to do? Is, are, are, let's be clear. Are you telling me that I need to subject myself to this? Yes. And, and, and anecdotally, I don't want to name names. People at my job were out for a week for the first shot, three to four days for the second shot, three to four days. And the whole purpose of this was so they would not avoid time. (laughs) And the duration of the sickness is equivalent to if they got sick. Right. It, it, it is. It's mind boggling. It is mind boggling. Nice catch. I like that. I, I'm living. I'm living through it. I, I've had people on my job go through this. And, and, and I mean, really sick. I mean, really, really sick. Like yeah. n- not to the death, but they felt like they were dying. Yeah. From the shot. And yeah. Yeah. N- now we need a booster. The new thing is a booster. We need the booster. It, it seems like the like the never ending shot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like to call it the experimental shot instead of the vaccine. <laughs> Not saying that somebody else has to do that. Just my own uh, <laughs> personal. We, we, we need to do some research and it's going to be tough. How many booster shots do they have for the mumps and the measles? <laughs> Zero. Well, because that was a real vaccine. And and I'll just say this too. Um, so my understanding is that <clears throat> when they give you a polio vaccine, they actually give you a weakened form of polio mm-hmm. and TB and, and, and other such shots. But this is a synthetic shot, which is, it's not actually really COVID. It's trying to trick mm-hmm. your body into thinking you have it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's experimental nature. We're the guinea pigs if we take it. Um, so to speak. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not making a law where there is no law, but, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the same as like, if you've got a polio vaccine or TB shot, uh, it is, it is differently formulated Yes, in, it, it, in, in your, in your body. It and is again, experimental. It, it, right. It, I wouldn't be even be as against it if they, they found a polio vaccine type and remade that. This this is something that has never been done. It doesn't mean it, look. We're not saying that five, ten years down the line we, we will say, hey, there was no side effects. This is this is perfect, but this is something that has never been done before. We, it's never. It's there's no long term studies of this type of vaccine. I'm not talking about the COVID vaccine, but the way that they design. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I I didn't go through all the the, the mechanism, but I know that from from people who, who know. That this is revolutionary, and that's great for our car. Do that's all doctors wonderful. agree on this thing? No, of course Scott. Not. Of course not. You- on on the fact that it's um, revolutionary and experimental, right? Well, it's <laughs> like that. Everybody should get this because some doctors say yes, and but I don't think all doctors are saying that. Oh no, no. I mean, you've got thousands of doctors on both sides, yeah. right? We so, just don't hear the other side. So when 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 we hear. Uh, leadership government officials saying follow the science follow the experts uh from my understanding science doesn't actually talk (laughs) scientists talk and i don't think they all agree and the medical field doesn't speak there are doctors and people in the medical field and i don't think they all agree and then if you just say well you know you got to go with the majority well you know i I mean to what extent um, are are people who disagree like getting any social media airtime? I mean, they just want to cancel those voices altogether. Science, science is not a religion. What that you follow, right? It, it the definition of it is that it is experiments that over time become theories, and then over time through repetition we accept as fact. It's not something that you look at a you know, a chart, see a couple numbers and say, well, this is how it's always going to be. It's kind of like, okay, 15 to 50 years, one, five to five, zero years from now, it happens. We say on a balance of probabilities, this is something that's a law. It's not something that in two months you can say, well, no one's grown a kid, a, a new um, uh, forehead. So it's fine. It's, right. It doesn't work like that. Well, that's called, that's, that's the end justifies the means. That's, that's yeah. the pragmatic approach. When you point to these people and you say, well, you know, they were okay, but you're not pointing to the people that it didn't go okay for, right? You're only pointing to the ones that seem to justify your pragmatic approach so it can pull along your narrative. Yeah. 
You know, uh, you know, Phil, you you were asking about doctors. I don't know if you've seen the the Warrington Declaration on medical mandates. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, uh, again, Anthony just sent that to me. Yeah, it's a good it's a good statement uh, that really arose out of the medical community. So there, you know, there are significant pushbacks uh, from doctors and, and epi, you know, uh, immunologists and things like that. So, um, but I, I, I like their statement. I, I thought it was. Can you say the name of the document again? The Warrington Declaration on Medical Mandates, Biblical Ethics and Authority. I, 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 I personally want to just thank you because it's something personal to me and I get very passionate as you've seen, but to hear it like explained in, in a cogent, calm manner, I, I think it's important that believers, unbelievers kind of hear and say, hey, you know, you're not crazy, you know, and there's a reasonable way to do it. And I think what you started off by saying was that there's two arguments. There's this American freedom argument, which is valid. And then there's this biblical, you know, understanding of how jurisdictions work, about how, how our God, how we're supposed to deal with our bodies and how we're supposed to relate with the government. That is the real thing um, that we need to follow. And I think it's, it's, it's been helpful to me um, just because I think that's the approach I haven't been taking because it's so blatantly against what I, as an American, who's an adopted American, has expected from this country that I... I uh, the, just the fact that it's 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 unbiblical in all these different ways is something that's even making me feel a little bit more comfortable because it, you never know if it's just you, you know, if you were just you know a little wacky dookie and you just we don't want to do things not to do it. Yeah, I found the uh, the document by the way. I just mm. put a quick flash up there: uh, the Warrington Declaration on Medical Mandates, Biblical Ethics, and Authority. Uh, dot com. So check that out. Uh, it looks very good. Uh, look it over. Look it over at your pastor. Send it to your pastor. Send it to other believers. Have them look it over. Uh, I don't think many people are talking about this. I don't think many people know it. It was, it was new to me as of last week. And so um, I think that we as believers need to know things like this. And uh, Pastor Scott, thank you for bringing uh this and everything that you shared today with us uh, to the surface. We uh, definitely greatly appreciate you being on with us today. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing you uh, actually uh, live for the first time when I plan to travel to your event, the father daughter retreat. (laughs) Yeah. Called fearless, fearless, uh, Creating a, a culture of power, love, and sound mind. Fathers and daughters taking dominion. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see you. Hey, I'd, I'd like to say one last thing. Please. America is the last bastion of freedom in the world. Amen. And it's incumbent upon us to preserve it. Amen. And we preserve it on matters like this. Amen. When we stand for what is true and we will not tell a lie. And we exercise our authority in the jurisdiction that God has given us. But this is the last bastion of freedom in the world. We have yeah. a tremendous responsibility right now. If we don't stand up, who will? And if we don't do it now, then when will we do it? The freedoms will just continue to erode. 
And there's many people that fought for our freedoms. Let's not let their blood have been spilled in vain. And of course, we have a savior that spilled his blood and we stand uh, under his authority first and foremost. And his authority tells us that there are jurisdictions that we must uh, stay beneath and submit to. And um, we have to know it. it. It's incumbent upon us to study God's word concerning all of these things and not to be ignorant and biblically illiterate about these things. Uh, these are crucial matters to get right for such a time as this. And, and yes, there are still Christian liberties. Uh, we won't make a law where there is no law, but we have to navigate through these jurisdictions according to God's word and not according to the way that the cultural wind is swinging or the cultural uh, parrots are speaking. Uh, we can't just speak as the culture. We need to speak um, forth from the word of God. Um, I just want to share, if you have not, Watch the Gospel-Centered Family Conference with Scott Brown and myself and a few others. Uh, it is available on soulfishingministries.org. Also, check out Scott's website and upcoming events where you can also get the book, When to Disobey. Scott, tell us again when that. Uh, tell us again about that website. Yeah, churchandfamilylife.com, churchandfamilylife.com. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.